tornadoes and hailstones and floods, and we got here safe and sound. Amen. Praise God. I was, actually I was watching the weather expecting that I'd probably have to cancel tonight. Golf ball sized hailstones they were saying. We got some rain and that was it. Anyway, a little disappointed actually. I got, I got all worked up. I was going to, and nothing, nothing. But that's probably for the best. Amen. Let's all stand. <laughs> it's exciting in the moment, but there's a lot of cleanup afterward. <laughs> Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's ask Him to bless this service this evening. Amen. As in every service, uh, by way of uh, stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance, God has a plan for every service. There's a reason that we're here tonight, and it's not just to check a box, but we have to, we have to trust that the Lord, the God of all, the, all of creation, has called us here for a very specific reason. He desires to minister to us, to bless us, to provide for us all of our needs. And in return, we get to spend time in His presence to worship and to praise Him, to thank Him for all that He's done for us. Amen. Let's go to Him in prayer, believing that He has something awesome in store for us on this Wednesday night. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty, wondrous, glorious Savior. And we heap glory and honor unto You tonight. You are altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise, all glory and all honor. We delight ourselves in the God of our salvation tonight. We delight in the fact that You are here tonight and that we are in Your presence, gathered as one people, entering into the presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus! I am so thankful for every covenant promise that You've established with us, and that You are a true and a faithful God, and will keep covenant with Your people forever and ever. Hallelujah, Jesus! I am looking forward to all that You have in store for us tonight. Heap glory and honor unto Your name. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus! Praise God, praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. Before we start, uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, this Saturday is the cleaning. Next Saturday, forget I said anything. We don't have to worry about it. Stakeout. That's what it is. Men. Men only. We have a stakeout, and that is at 11, right? I think that was updated. 11 a.m. Yes. Don't, don't show up late. So, if you, have, if you are intending to go, please see either Brother DeMuth or myself. Uh, we need to get a head count for Brother Baez. Uh, he wants that tomorrow. So... If you intend on going, please let one of us know. Preferably Brother DeMuth. Amen. I may forget. He won't. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Uh, on with the lesson. I can give him a call. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Fantastic. I know I'll, I'll need a ride. And if we do, uh, men, we'll, we'll throw some gas money that way. Amen. That's the right thing to do. Okay. Thank you for that. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And continuing down to Joshua 24 and 22, Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Amen. We're going to be talking tonight on this topic, indecision. 
indecision. There is a story that goes something along the lines of, there is a CEO, and he had just hired a junior executive. And the junior executive was to follow him around for a week or so, kind of get the lay of the land. And he watched how the CEO operated, how he was making all of these snap decisions, and, and they always seemed to be spot on. So he, at the end of the week, they sat down and kind of debriefed, and the junior exec asked the CEO, you're amazing. I mean, you make all of these decisions as the CEO, and they're all spot on, at least from my perspective. How do you do that? How do you get to that point? And the CEO, the CEO replied, experience. It's okay. Well, how, how do I get experience? By making bad decisions. You make enough bad decisions, you have to fix them, and then you learn how to make the right ones. Amen. There are people, I, I hope none of us here are like this, but there are people who kind of go through life and they make their decisions by indecision. They just hope that if they prolong long enough, the decision will be made for them. Or it will come to the place where I can't make a decision anymore. I have a good friend that, that's like that. I don't know if he still is, but uh, I know he was. <laughs> Todd Bowman. <laughs> oh, he doesn't mind. He knows. But uh, this idea that uh, I can just go through life and uh, I don't, I don't really have to make a decision, or I'm not comfortable with with certain choices, is natural. It's it's to a certain extent, built into all of us. But there comes a time and a place where we realize that certain decisions have to be made. I can't move on unless I make a choice here. After high school, I can't just kind of float. I got to do something now. I got to get a job. I got to join the army. I got to go to college. I got to do something. It would have been nice for a little while if Dad would have just let me stay in the basement and just read a book or, or eat his food, you know? But Dad said no. Actually, he didn't have to. Uh, there's no way I wanted to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I graduated on a Friday, and on Monday I was on a bus down to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you got to make a you got to make a decision. I got my whole life ahead of me. What am I going to do with it? I can't just float through. I mean, you can, and people do, but it doesn't. You end up just nowhere. God has given us free choice. He's given us free moral agency, the ability to make decisions for ourselves, the ability to examine and, and uh, gather information, and based on the information, make the best available choice. Now, Wikipedia, I know some people don't like Wikipedia, but I do. Wikipedia defines freedom of choice as, quote, an individual's opportunity and autonomy to perform an action selected from at least two available options, unconstrained by external parties. I found another definition on a website, becominghuman.ai, and they defined it as this, the ability to choose with or without coercion, sensibly or nonsensibly, logically or illogically, intelligently or stupidly, or a combination of all the above. I thought that was an interesting definition, so I threw it in. Synonyms would include assent, consent, determination, intention, option, your own say-so, pleasure, as in, what's your pleasure, sir? Power, volition, voluntary decision, wish. Sometimes it's easier to get a good idea of the topic matter at hand by looking at its inverse or its opposite. And so... 
There's an idea out there, a philosophy, a worldview that's based in materialism, and it's called determinism. And determinism is the idea that every event or state of affairs, including every decision or choice you've ever made or will ever make, is the inevitable and necessary outcome of previous states of affairs. In other words, you have no free moral agency. You have no free will. Everything that you think you're choosing has been predetermined from the beginning of the universe based on natural laws, physics, uh, etc. It is in direct opposition to the idea of free agency. It's also the inevitable conclusion of a purely materialistic worldview. A concrete example would be if I throw a pebble into a body of water, what's going to happen? A splash? Some ripples? Yeah. That seems to happen every single time. And that, that whole uh, series of events is produced and it's, it's governed according to the physical laws of fluid dynamics. Okay? If I knew everything there was to know about fluid dynamics, if I knew the temperature and, and state of the water, if I knew the shape and, and weight of the rock, the mass of the rock, the velocity in which it entered, I could predict with near certainty exactly what would happen. Probably could. And that is a type of determinism. Those things do exist. Uh, the way God created the universe, it is governed based on laws that He wrote. And the universe seems to follow those laws. But the philosophy of determinism takes that a step farther and says, you threw that rock into the pond because you had to. You didn't choose to do that. That was predetermined from the very beginning. Now, someone could say, uh, well, I could have chosen to just walk on, not even pick the rock up. I had that choice. I also could have chosen to just pick the rock up and put it in my pocket, take it home with me. I didn't have to throw it in. I chose to. Well, the determinist would argue, no, that's, that, that choice that you thought you had is an illusion. You're looking at different possibilities, but the one that happened was the one that was determined to take place. That's what they would argue. The idea of free agency, the idea that we have a choice in anything is an illusion. You can see the options available, but you followed the path that was already determined. There is, in reality, no free choice. Interestingly, those that are researching and working on artificial intelligence have stumbled upon this problem as well. Determinism versus free choice. AI's ultimate goal is to produce a mechanical system that is able to simulate human consciousness to the extent that the two are indistinguishable. That's the ultimate goal of artificial intelligence, to simulate human consciousness so that a robot or a computer program will be able to feel emotion, think abstractly, uh, understand what's going on with itself, to be able to think about its own self like a human being can. Those kinds of things. <clears throat> the definition of insanity, we all know, uh, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I read an article uh, on a guy that's, that's working on AI. He's a Christian. And he made this distinction. There's this thing called an infinite loop in computer programs. Uh, if a computer program gets stuck in an infinite loop, it can't break out of it. It will never be able to break out of it. It's locked there forever until it physically malfunctions or the power goes out or whatever. A human being can also get stuck in a type of infinite loop, doing the same thing over and over again. But the difference is we can recognize that we're in a loop 
And we can choose to break free of that, to do something different, to try something else. Well, this isn't working. This is just leading to the same thing over and over and over again. How about I try this instead? That's, the, that's one of the main differences. And there are a lot of connotations to that. But outside the purview of this uh, message tonight. So computers, the point I'm trying to make is computers cannot choose. But human beings can. Maybe they'll get to the place where they figure that out. But as of right now, it looks impossible to those that are working on it. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Okay, we understand tonight that we are created in the image and likeness of God. We have many of his characteristics uh, built into us from the ground up, foundationally. One of those characteristics that he built into us is the ability to choose, to decide, to make choices, to make real choices choices that actually affect our lives. And the reason I make that distinction is this. If I gave someone the ability, I told you, for the next month you have the ability to determine the order of all of our services. I'm just going to step back and let you do it. Okay? But then... Every time you make a decision, I either talk you into something else or just let other people know, actually, we're, we're going to do it this way instead. You're making decisions, but they have no impact on anything. And if anybody's ever been in that situation, you know how extremely frustrating that is. That is very frustrating. God is not like that. When He gives us authority in an area, when He gives us the ability to choose, He gives us the ability to choose. And He steps back and He lets you choose. And whatever consequences come of that, they're yours to suffer or to enjoy. But He gives humans the ability to make real choices. And those choices have real consequences. The difference between God and us, however, is that God is always decided. He is always decided. He remains in a constant state of decidedness. I couldn't find that, but I think it's a word. There, there is no indecision with God. None. He always knows what He's about. He knows what he's, he's accomplishing, what He's doing, what He's going to do, what's going to take place. He always knows how to proceed. He's never caught unawares. We, on the other hand, we have times in our lives where we are most certainly undecided. There are times in our lives perhaps where we've even become paralyzed and unable or unwilling to make a choice. For a variety of reasons. Why do we encounter those times as human beings? Why are there times in our lives where we can't or won't make a choice, make a decision? Well, there are several reasons. Lack of information. I just don't have enough information to make a good choice. I need more. I need better information. A lack of preparation. Something comes at me and I'm simply not prepared for it. It catches me unawares. And I, I don't know what to do here. A lack of confidence. Confidence in ourselves. Confidence in God. Confidence in the information we have. Confidence in others. Take your pick. But sometimes it's a lack of confidence that we suffer from. How about a lack of resources? There are things that we'd like to do, but we just lack resources, financial, manpower, abilities or talents. We just don't have access to these right now. To ask it another way, 
What kind of decisions would you make right now if you had infinite resources available to you? Probably different ones. But you don't. And I don't. So we make decisions based on them. The most important decision that we'll ever be faced with is whether or not to enter into this new covenant with Jesus Christ. That is the single most important decision we'll ever be faced with. Do I serve God with my life or don't I? Now, I know that seems to some people pretty simplistic. Maybe overly simplistic. Pretty cut and dried. Well, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. No, it's really not. That's pretty much, that pretty much sums it up. You either serve God with everything you got or you don't. That's it. That's the choice. This decision has a slew of consequences. But again, as related to our topic this evening, to enter into covenant with God or no carries far-reaching ramifications. Eternal ramifications. If I choose to reject God's covenant with me, then I have only the information I can procure myself. If I'm going to make a choice or a decision, I'll get as much information as I can, but that's all I can get. I don't have access to what God has access to. I've rejected Him. I am outside of covenant with Him. So I'm on my own there. Is that information going to be reliable? I don't know. Is that information going to be actionable? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If I reject a covenant with God, I've got to stay in a state of preparedness. Anybody know or, or understand what a prepper is? Okay. There may be a few here with us tonight. I would like to, but some of that stuff is really expensive. And so, I'd like at least a box of MREs. Because they're so good. I'm told they're a lot better. I don't, I don't know. I've not had one recently. Anyway, so I've got to stay in a state of preparedness uh, because now it depends on me. It depends on what I can do. It depends on what I'm capable of. So I've got to be prepared. I've got to be ready. I've got to be looking out, scanning the horizon, looking for either opportunity or uh, problems that might be coming down the road and get ready for them. It all falls on me. I've got to be confident enough in myself, my abilities, those around me to actually make a decision. I've got to either have available to me or I've got to get sufficient resources to make a decision possible. I found a scripture that, for me, really sums this Situation of Judges 10 and 14. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And that's where, that's where we would find ourselves. Outside of covenant with God. All by ourselves. Some of you know what that's like. Being in that situation. If, however, I choose to accept God's covenant with me, I have God to provide wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in every situation. And I can make a decision based on that. I've still got to prepare. I've still got to be ready. But I have a God who will help me and who is able and willing to pick up wherever I fall short. If I do make a mistake, if I do mess something up, if I miss something... And you're going to miss something. God can take care of that for you. God can see you through that situation. Even though you get blindsided. The only thing or person I have to be confident in now is God. God is altogether sufficient in every situation. I don't have to rely on me anymore. And thank God for that. All I have to worry about is God. What can God do? What is God capable of? And that's it. 
I have available to me all the resources of heaven. God will provide everything I need to accomplish His will. And I've got to trust in that. God asks me to do something. The first thing that's going to come to my mind is we can't do that. We don't have the people. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We just can't do that right now. Well, again, I think God knows all of that already. And if He's still asking, then we can do it. I don't know how, but it's going to take place. The importance of choice. There is an account at the end of the book of Acts. Pretty sure I've mentioned this before. Acts 28, verses 1 through 6, tells us this something that happened to Paul. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he took off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Albeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay. The account, the part of this account I want to focus on is this serpent that attached itself to Paul. Where was the serpent living? Where was the serpent when it attacked? It was in the heat, wasn't it? There came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Where did he put the serpent? Verse 5 says he shook off the beast into the fire. And this account I want to use to represent this idea of making a decision. When we live in a, in a state of indecision, Let's call that the heat. When you're on the outskirts of a relationship with God. When you're on the outskirts of the body of Christ. You're just kind of hanging around. Enjoying the presence of God. Come and go as you please. And that's fine. I'm certainly not judging. I was there at one point. My point is this though. If you're in that spot. Get into the fire. Get close to God. Get in the center of what God is doing. Because here's the thing. The enemy lives in the heat. The enemy lives on the outskirts. The enemy lives in this state of indecision. And the indecision I'm talking about tonight, of course, is whether or not to serve Jesus Christ. Some of us, at one point or another, thought or do think, then I've already made that choice. I'm here, aren't I? I'm serving God with my life. We're glad you're here. Truly. But that doesn't mean you're serving God with your life. When, when, when you preach a funeral... Or when, you, uh, when you're asked to speak, it's something like that. It's always, in my mind, a bad idea to put someone in heaven or somewhere else. And here's why. I'm not God. I may think I know where that person ended up. You know, should the Lord tarry at some point, Bishop is, is going to pass on. And he's going to go on to his reward. Now, I, I believe I have a pretty good idea where he's going. I know the life he lives. I know the kind of man he is. I think I have a pretty good idea, but I'm not certain. Any, anybody know what happened to Ravi Zacharias? Anybody know who Ravi Zacharias is? 
Okay. <clears throat> well, if you're not aware of it, right after his passing, it, it was discovered that he was having relations with young girls. And so, uh, there's a whole big stink over that now. I would have, I mean, he, that dude knew Scripture. He was an awesome Bible teacher. I listened to him. He was fantastic. He preached truth to the extent that he knew it. I don't know how he was doctrinally, specifically, but the, thing, the topics he spoke on were solid. But it turns out, the life he was living was way different than what he was teaching. So you don't know. You don't know. That is between the individual and God. Period. The Bible says we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That means that I'm responsible before God to make sure that I'm ready when He comes. I know what I need to do. I haven't been instructed through Scripture, through preaching and teaching, through discipleship, and through prayer. I know what I am supposed to do biblically. Now it's up to me to do it. I've got to make a choice, don't I? I've got to choose to do that. Not some of it. Not most of it. Not almost all of it. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. I give Him everything or I keep everything. That's the choice. When I say, well, you know, I'm, I'm on a journey. I can appreciate that. But being on a journey isn't being in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? I mean, I'm sorry to say it like that. I'm on a journey to, to truth. Great. I can't wait until you receive truth. So you can act on it. Because here's the thing, folks. If you're not in a covenant relationship with God, you're not of God. You're not His, you're not, you're not the part of the people of God. You're in the church or you're not. You have a relationship with God, you're His son and daughter, or you're not. It's really cut and dried. It's really simple. There are no nuances, there are no exceptions, there are no quid pro quos, none of that. It's yes or no, all or all. That's it. So if I say yes to God, I'm saying yes to everything. I'm giving Him everything. I explained a little bit ago about covenants. A covenant relationship is an exchange of lives. I am yours. You are mine. That's how this works. That's how a covenant works. So when we say yes, when we make that choice, that's the choice we're making. And anything less than that is a state of indecision. If you're holding something back from God, you are undecided. You haven't made the choice yet. You're in a state of lukewarmness, in a way. It's a, hard place to, it's a hard place to live. And a lot of problems that Christians face and suffer, the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the doubt, a lot of times those are caused because you haven't been all in. you still got one foot in the world. Get the foot out of the world. Get everything in the fire. Get it in the fire. When we live in a state of indecision, we are unsure of what's going on. And fear and doubt can overcome us and we will become the enemy's prey because that's where the enemy lives. That's where the enemy's looking for. Someone who is yet undecided. He doesn't need to do too much with the person that's made this decision. I don't want God. I want nothing to do with God. He's already got this person. He doesn't need to do a whole lot. Just keep him away. The person that's thinking about it, he's going to be working on you. 
The enemy cannot live in the middle of our relationship with God. When our relationship with God is close, when we've given Him everything, when we are completely sold out to Him, we have nothing left to take. We have nothing left for Him to attack. And there's nothing He can do to us. The enemy has a very hard time with us when we're decided, when we've made up our minds. When we make up our minds to live for Jesus Christ no matter what, and that's that, there's not a lot he can do with that. He can come knocking. He can come probing and and prodding. But if our decision, if our minds are made up, he's not going to find anything there. We've given everything to God. There is power and conviction that grows out of a made-up mind. Another example we could use is flying. There comes a point right before one crosses the speed of sound threshold that turbulence builds up to the point of almost shaking the aircraft apart. If you stay there, just below the speed of sound, you're probably going to lose the aircraft. You can't live in that spot too long. You're going to have to make a choice. Either back off or continue accelerating past the speed of sound. Either way, the turbulence stops. That turbulence is a state of indecision. Life is hard. We're confused. Fear and doubt assail us. But again, when we give everything to God, that clears up. The turbulence disappears. We're free and clear. It's silky smooth from that point out, at least spiritually. We said that we're created in the image and likeness of God, and one of those, one of those characteristics that He's built into us is free choice. Well, that means that God also has free choice, doesn't it? He has free moral agency as well. But that takes a little bit different form with God. Let's examine, for the remainder of our time here, some of the choices that God has made. Deuteronomy 7, 6-9 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto Himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So, God chose to Himself the nation of Israel. That was God's choice. Why did He choose Israel? Why, 400 some odd years previous to this, why did God choose Abram? Why didn't He choose Terah? Why didn't He choose Lot? Why didn't He choose someone else? (laughs) Because... Because it was God's choice to make. And here's the thing with the things that God chooses. Why did God choose repentance and water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost for salvation? Why did God choose blood to remit sin? These are God's choices to make. God doesn't take counsel with you, me, or anyone else. He does not. He takes counsel with Himself. He does what He does, and that's that. God doesn't answer to us. We answer to Him. And some people take offense at that. Some people don't like that answer. He gets to do whatever He wants to do, and that's fine. We don't. We get to obey God. Well, What about those times when God does something immoral? Like this or that or the other. 
again, not the purpose of this message, but just to comment on that. So what gives you the authority to stand in moral judgment over God? What would you have done different in that situation? Well, I've done this, 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 this. Why? Because, da, da, da. okay, why that? We don't have the authority, we don't have the equipment necessary to judge God. Okay? We do not stand in judgment over God. This isn't the point of this message. Anyway, these choices that God makes, He made them because He made them. He made them because they were the best choice to make. Because they served His purposes. Take your pick. Take something else. I don't know. Truly, I don't care. I really don't care why God made these choices. Some of these would be a fun discussion. I love discussing anything, really. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't care why God made them. I trust Him. I trust that He made the best choice. He doesn't need to justify His choices to me. So, He chose to Himself the nation of Israel for His own purpose. God kept His promise to Israel. Now, was this a choice that God made? It said, I did this to keep the oath that I made to your fathers. Did God choose to keep His oath? Now, here's an interesting point. Does God have a choice here? Can God choose to break His promise? Well, the choice is there. I mean, we see the choice, right? It, 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 it's an option on paper anyway. But no, God doesn't choose that. There's no choice here with God. God cannot go against His own character. He can't. God's characteristics are He's a God of law and order. He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of justice. He's a God of truth. He cannot act in any way that's contrary to His character. And we can't either, unless we're empowered by the Holy Ghost. We have a character as well, a fallen nature, that we cannot act contrary to unless God helps us to, unless the Holy Ghost empowers us to. When we make a choice, our choices are, do I follow my old nature or do I follow the new nature? That's a choice we're constantly faced with. God doesn't have that choice. There is no choice. There's only one nature for God. And that's where, that's where He goes every time. The choices we make, we do have both sides of the equation to choose from. God help us to always choose the right. Deuteronomy 12 and 5 says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put His name there, even unto His habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. 12.11 says, Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause His name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offering of your hand and all your choice vows which ye have vowed unto the Lord. And 12 and 14 says, But in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. So we see here God is choosing him an, an habitation, a dwelling place where his name would dwell. In covenantal terms, where the name of God dwells, the presence of God dwells. When God says he's choosing a place that his name would dwell there, it's synonymous. His presence is going to dwell there. The presence of God is going to inhabit that place. And we see this, this language, this phrase used all through Old Testament. The place that I have chosen to place my name there. I counted like 25 different times this, this phrase is used in the Old Testament. God chose him a place where he would tabernacle with mankind. Here's where men would come and meet with God. Here's another thing that, that may rub some people the wrong way. I don't think anyone here. Man is going to go to where God is. 
to do the service of the Lord. God's not going to come to you. God's not going to come to us. We're going to go to Him. Now please understand the context of, of this situation here. God was speaking to His covenant people. When it comes to the New Testament and sinners, we know that God reaches out to them. God leaves the 99 to find the one. We understand that. He woos them. He persuades them. Reasons with them to enter into a covenant with them. And by the way, why does He woo them? Why does He persuade? Why does He reason with people? Why doesn't He just force obedience? He can do that. He's all-powerful. He's perfectly just. You know, there are times in my life, and maybe yours too, I have told God, I will voluntarily lay this free will down. I will give it back to you. I don't want it anymore. Because then maybe I could get to a place where I could serve you perfectly. Where I wouldn't disappoint you. Where I wouldn't make a dumb choice again. I have told God that. But as of today, I still have the ability to choose. He's not taking it back. He woos them. He persuades them. He reasons with them because they do have a choice. God has given them the choice to make. God is hoping. It's God's perfect will for them to say yes. But they don't have to. God expects His people, His covenant people on the other hand, to obey His commandments and to follow after Him. Not vice versa. I should be in a place with my relationship with God certainly at some point where I'm not having Him run all over the place trying to find me. Does that make sense? I should be in a place eventually, a relationship with God, where I'm looking for Him. I'm seeking His face. I want to be in His presence. I'm taking the initiative. And I get it, the initiative. I can take the initiative because God gives me both the will and the desire to do His good will. The ability and the desire to do His good pleasure. I acknowledge that. But then let's use that free choice. Let's use it for something good. I'm going to choose to enter into a place of prayer. I'm going to choose to seek His face in the morning. I'm going to choose to open my book and study it and, and listen for His voice when I read Scripture. I'm choosing to do that. I'm seeking Him. I'm not just hanging out in the bedroom or the basement of my dad's house just kind of waiting for stuff to happen. Hey, son, got supper ready? You want to eat something? No, I'm going out. I'm taking, I'm choosing to do that myself. I'm choosing to, to pursue God with everything in me as much as possible. When I first came to the Lord, I didn't know anything. I had to have people come to me. I had to have people ask me questions. Hey, is everything all right? Hey, what did you read the thing that I told you to read? What did you think? Hey, let's go to prayer. I don't know how to pray. Come on, I'll show you. I had to have people motivate me to do stuff. But eventually, God brought me to the place where I didn't need people to, to call me up and see if I was coming to church anymore. I didn't need people calling me up and saying, Hey, you're going to be at prayer. Hey, uh, are you reading your Bible? No, I'm doing those things on my own because I want to. I choose to. I'm using my free moral agency to do those things that please God. His covenant people should, be, should get to that place. We see in the Old Testament, God established where He would dwell. And He expected the nation of Israel to come there. To offer sacrifice. To offer tithe. To worship. To serve the Lord their God. This place that God is going to choose, that's where people would do service to, to God according to His will. This is where they would serve the Lord. 
It would be a place of obedience. It would be a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, where the presence of God was. Deuteronomy 17.15 says, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren, shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother, etc., etc., talking about a king. God is going to choose him out, someone to rule over his people. He's the one that chooses our rulers. He's the one that chooses who has authority over us. And he delegates that authority. Well, I think sometimes God can make a better choice. Okay, thank you for sharing. However, that's the choice that God made. Are we going to make a better one? I highly doubt it. The idea of the idea of God choosing evil people to rule over us is a hard thing to grasp for some people. In the Old Testament, God commanded the nation of Israel, to submit to a heathen king. Commanded them. You will submit. You will do what they tell you to do. How do you think they took that? They didn't take it very well at all. But why did God tell them that? I don't read that anywhere in the the, the blessings here. If they would have loved the Lord their God and kept His commandments and served Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that commandment would never have come. That commandment was given in judgment because of their disobedience and their rebellion against the commandments of God. They had went a-whoring after other gods. They had chosen to serve other gods with their lives and forsook the one true God. So when God gives you an evil ruler, maybe ask the question, why? Why did He do that? Why do we get the presidents that we get? Why? I know for a fact that there is a reason why. Okay. Deuteronomy 21 and 5. I'm sorry, 18 and 5. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord him and his sons forever. Speaking of the tribe of Levi. Deuteronomy 21 and 5 says, And the priests of the sons of Levi, and the priests of the sons of Levi shall come near. For them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto them. And bless... I'm sorry, unto him. And to bless in the name of the Lord, and by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. So God chose him out of, uh, out of all of Israel, a tribe, to be his priests, to be the priesthood, the tribe of Levi. God set them apart and sanctified them to minister before him in the tabernacle. He chose the tribe of Levi to mediate between God and the nation of Israel, to be priests. And it's in the story, the account between uh, Moses and Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, their rebellion, Moses tells them something very fascinating to me. He asks Korah, because Korah was a Levite, Seemeth it a small thing unto you that God hath chosen you out of all the tribes of Israel to minister before Him. He took that for granted. He, took, he esteemed it lightly. But it was an awesome thing. It was a privilege, a high honor to be chosen to do that. To mediate between God and the nation of Israel. John 15 and 6 says, Ye have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in My name, He may give it you. In conclusion, God chose you. 
He chose you specifically. He didn't choose you because you were the last one standing. You were the last one to be picked. That was all that was left. He chose you from the foundation of the world. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows how you operate. He knows how you work. He gave you, He made you exactly what you are today. Good looks and all. <laughs> there are some people that maybe think they could do a better job with their face or their hair, but uh, I don't know. God made me the way He made me. That's right. And I'm thankful for that. It took me a while to be able to say that. But I truly am thankful for the way God made me. Warts and all. And He chose us. Individually. When He hung on the cross, He had you in mind. Individually. Not the whole world. Not all of, all of mankind. He had you specifically in mind. He chose you. He didn't have to. He's not getting anything special when He gets me. But He chose me anyway. He chose to place His name here. To tabernacle with me. He chose to make me a king and a priest. He chose all of us to be priests of His. What an awesome thing that is. The choices of God are perfect. The choices of God are right. They're right. Every single time. What we have to decide is that, that one choice. Will I give Him everything? Will I sell out completely to Him? Please hear the words coming out of my mouth. A partial answer isn't enough. Yes to everything except this isn't an answer. It's yes or no. Let's all stand. Indecision will kill us spiritually. It will kill us off one way or the other. We've got to make a choice. And I pray, and it's God's will, that we make the right one. That we make the right one. God created us to serve Him. God created us to represent Him in this, this world, this economy. He created us. He chose us. He called us. He will equip and train us. He will give us the gifts and talents necessary to do everything He wants us to do. He will work through us. But He's got to get a yes first. Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord Jesus, that if we have not yet made that decision, there were times in my life where I thought I'd made a decision, but I was holding things back. There were things I wanted to do, things I wanted to see, places I wanted to go. There were objectives I had to accomplish. I pray, Lord Jesus, that I would put those on an altar tonight. Maybe you'll still let me accomplish those things. Or maybe you'll have better things for me to accomplish. But in any case, I place them on an altar of sacrifice tonight. I want Your will. I want Your plan for my life. I say yes to You tonight, Lord Jesus. I say yes to all of it. Every bit of it. I give You everything tonight, such as I am able to do. To the extent of my knowledge, I give You everything tonight. Use us, I pray. Use us mightily. Use us wondrously. Go with us tonight. Bring us back at the day appointed. 
All of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed. Make sure to get with Brother DeMuth or myself, men, if you are going to the stakeout this Saturday, 11 a.m.